0: There's an old proverb that says your perception is defined by three mirrors. The first mirror is how you see yourself. The second mirror is how others perceive you. And the third mirror is the truth. How we view the world around us is a lot like that. Is is it a world full of opportunity or danger? Are people inherently good or evil? Trustworthy or not. Our perceptions and our beliefs can be revealed in how we interact with the world as well. But did you ever stop to think that they can also be revealed in how we respond to Jesus? Let me pray. Jesus, as we spend some time in your word today... As we pause to think um, about all the things that you want to say to us today, would you quieten us and, and allow us to be open to what it is that you want to say? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us once again deep to deep? Would you move amongst us, around us and with us and through us in the world in which you have placed us? Amen. Now you may recall that um, in previous weeks we've looked at a bit of a summary of the Gospels that was created by the Bible Project, which suggested that uh, chapters 2 through to 10 of John have a pattern with them where Jesus says or does something that brings about a response from others. That usually looks like either people moving towards Jesus or rejecting or moving away from Jesus in rejection. And throughout the the Gospel of John from chapters 2 to 10, there's a growing intensity of all that's happening and people's responses as well, until it reaches a tipping point in John chapter 11 and chapter 12. As we discovered last week, Jesus reveals the depth of his love for others that even in the darkest times, Jesus loves, that Jesus cares. Lazarus is raised back to life, to the amazement of the mourners and the religious establishments' dismay. And the verses that follow, we see that there are three different key characters and three types of people and their perceptions that follow. And those perceptions still echo through history and lives right up till today. Let's start where we left off last week in John chapter 11, verse 43. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, 43. Previously, Jesus has made a late arrival around midway through the period of mourning as Martha and Mary grieve the death of their brother, Lazarus. Risking his life and his personal safety, Jesus arrives and in verse 43, shouts loud enough to wake the dead, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go the passage then goes on in verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and the Pharisees called together the high council. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will, become, uh, will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. You see, the nation of Israel was an occupied region. The power and the influence of the religious leaders were kept in check by the Roman occupying forces and the political structure of the Roman Empire. The religious leaders knew that their power, influence and their affluence could quickly be taken away through unrest within the nation. Absolutely, they were concerned about the temple, the symbol of God's central role within the nation. But they were also very, very concerned about their place within the religious structure, which defined everyday life. In which it was connected. And this was all at risk because of Jesus and his growing number of supporters. Then in verse 49 of John chapter 11, Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, said, "'You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realise that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed.'" He did not say this on his own. As high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation, not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot uh, Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. In verse 55, it was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so that they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and the Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so that they could arrest him. Then travelling back from the town of Ephraim, Jesus attends a special celebration in his honour as we pick up the account in John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, "'That perfume was worth a year's wages. "'It should have been sold and the money given to the poor.'" Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. On the Saturday night, following the end of the Sabbath, Jesus makes the two to three hour walk from the village of Ephraim, heading south along the dirt road to Bethany. He responds to an invitation as a guest of honour at the home of Martha. Mary takes 350 mils or thereabouts in an alabaster jar of a rare pure perfume called nard or spike nard. This rare essential oil was created from the roots of a now critically endangered plant found around 300 to 5, sorry, 3,000 to 5,000 meters above sea level in the Himalayas. By today's extraction methods, it would need around 16 kilograms of the spikenard fibrous roots to fill the jar with pure oil. 16 kilograms would have had to have been harvested. The nard would then go on a two-year roundabout journey along possibly the Silk Road to make its way from the Himalayas to Bethany, the home of Martha, Mary and Lazarus. This jar of pure nard would have been a family heirloom, possibly passed down from parent to child, and was worth a year's wages of a male labourer, working six days a week. So was this jar of oil precious? Absolutely. The aroma not only fills the room, but if it was applied as recorded in Matthew and Mark, poured over Jesus' head as well, it would have soaked into Jesus' clothes and on his skin. The aroma would have fused with Jesus' body and was likely to linger there over the coming week ahead. Judas is incensed by such extravagance. From his perspective, so much more could have been achieved with this money. Sure, the poor could have benefited, but only after Jesus, uh, Judas first took his cut. Responding to Judas' criticism, Jesus defends Mary and her outpouring of love towards him. And Judas is publicly chastised. You will always have the poor among you, as Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, a passage that everyone in that room would have known about, and all the disciples could have finished that sentence so well. Like the sayings of today... When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Or if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Everyone knew how this verse ended. You will always have the poor among you. That's why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need is the rest of that verse and everyone in that room knew it. But Mary did this without fully understanding why. But her prophetic action is a loving preparation for my burial, Jesus replies. A lost opportunity would be made up for by Judas. This encounter was a catalyst for Judas to go and make the most of the opportunity. If he can't fill his pockets by selling the naan, then he will fill them by selling out Jesus. At worst, Jesus, uh, Judas saw a price on Jesus' head as a way of getting even. But as others, as others have suggested, Judas potentially hoped that by betraying Jesus, it would force Jesus to change his, his modus operandi, the way he was heading, the things that he was talking about, to change Jesus' course of action. Rather than laying down his life, Jesus being backed into a corner would instead fight back and fully realise the kingdom of God by overthrowing a corrupt religious establishment and also the Roman Empire. Three different people looked at Jesus from different perspectives and the way they responded would ripple through time. Caiaphas the high priest from his perspective from for, for Caiaphas he was concerned about what he could lose Caiaphas was unwilling to let go of power of influence of affluence and the relig- religious establishment was largely with him as Caiaphas said you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation To be destroyed. Judas? From his perspective, Judas was concerned with what he could gain. If not for selling of a jar of pure nard, then selling out Jesus would have to do. And perhaps Jesus would finally behave in the way that Judas wanted. And for Mary? For her perspective, Mary was concerned about what she could give. Her life had been radically changed by Jesus. The lives of her family members had also changed so much. They would never be the same. In humility, she honours Jesus by once again bowing at his feet. The last time she did that was before the tomb of her brother. And now there is her brother, in the same room with Jesus. Giving her life to Jesus was not just about herself and giving of herself, but also all her resources as well. A lavish gift of devotion and dedication, extravagantly flowing over Jesus. One sees Jesus from the perspective of what they might lose. Another sees Jesus from the perspective of what they might get. And Mary sees Jesus from the perspective of what she could give. Today, we have people that respond to Jesus in exactly the same ways, don't we? Even as followers of Jesus, we can have our relationship with Jesus influenced by each of these different perspectives. What might I lose? What might I get? What? could I give? I don't want to be a follower of Jesus, because if I became a follower of Jesus, I would lose control of my life. I don't get to do what I want, when I want, how I want. I might lose my career path. I might lose my choice of how I want to spend my money. I might lose my relationship with. Others see Jesus because of what they can get. Being a part of a church could give me power. I could be a part of a church and I, that could get me access to people and things. Being a follower of Jesus can give me a get out of hell card. But others see Jesus. They see the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. The life that he lived for them and the relationship with the creator of the universe That he restored for them. The forgiveness of their sins and their stuff-ups was achieved for them. And they want to respond. And they want to give. They give of themselves to Jesus. They give their studies and their employment to Jesus. They give their relationships to Jesus. They give their resources to Jesus in extravagant worship. I am all yours and all i have is yours and like mary their life is radically transformed not only because of their perspective of jesus but because of the growing sense of understanding of seeing others through the eyes of jesus and his love for them as well their perspective of jesus changes everything not necessarily making things easier, but making things infinitely better. Living life well. How we can live can also help to change people's perspectives with Jesus as well. We can live with this perspective of Jesus with fear of what we might lose. Then why would other people be interested? If we live our life as a follower of Jesus, but we always feel tight and want to hold on to what we have. We can end up tainting the way other people see Jesus. If we live with a perspective of what we could get, then why would people be interested? But suppose we live with a perspective of Jesus with what we could give, devoted to living the best life possible in following Jesus then attracting that lifestyle will attract others to take notice. That inspires people and attracts people when we live differently, when we live for what we can give rather than what we can get. Our perspective, the way we see Jesus, reveals what we think and feel about Jesus. It reveals it not only to us, To our family, to our friends, to those at school, at work, and across the fence. Let me pray. Jesus, we recognize that even in stages of our life, our perspective of you can shift based on where we position ourselves. We can fear what we might lose as we follow you. We can look to what we might get if we follow you help us instead to see what you have done through your death and resurrection through the life that you lived and the relationships that you've restored and may our response be of what we can give what we can give of ourselves our life our values our aspirations, our hopes, our dreams, that we can give those to you for you to do with as you choose. Amen. You know, when we think about following Jesus, I wonder, are you concerned about what you could lose, what you could get, or perhaps what you could give? Which of those kind of sits closest for you? How might others see this lived out in you? If people were to observe the way you live your life, how would they see your relationship and your perspective of Jesus? And what might you give to Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you? The best thing that you could ever do is to give your life to Jesus today. Or what could you give afresh to Jesus, rededicating this part of your life or your life to Jesus today? There's going to be some music played, and I encourage you as that music's played just to reflect and, and to do business with God today. God bless you.